Jace here. Before the episode, everybody, I just wanted to remind you all that Los Angeles Comic-Con is coming up very, very soon. It's going to be taking place the first weekend of December, Friday, December 2nd through December 4th. It's at the Los Angeles Convention Center in downtown LA. This is a fantastic show. There's tons of great cosplay, maybe one of the best cosplay shows outside of San Diego that there is. Uh, this is going to be their biggest year ever, right before Christmas. Great place to go to get uh, gifts for all the people that love comics and uh, anime and toys and crafts and that sort of thing. Huge artist alley. And one of the best things about Los Angeles Comic-Con is the main stage where they have most of the panels, the, the panels with the big stars that you want to see. They all happen on the main stage on the main floor. So you don't miss out on any of those cool panels that you want to go see. And, and you know, while you're shopping, you can be listening. It, it's loud. Uh, you can hear it. The panels that are going to be on the main stage include a Jimmy Neutron 20th anniversary and live script reading with a lot of the cast of Jimmy Neutron. Uh, I love that show back in the day. There's also going to be a Lord of the Rings panel with Sean Astin and Elijah Wood talking about behind the scenes, um, of Lord of the Rings, that trilogy that, that we all loved. Uh, the Boys is going to have uh, a panel there with several of, uh, at least three of the, the cast of The Boys are going to be there. Um, so that's really cool. Also, The Mandalorian is going to have a, a couple of the actors talking about that show. There's a big reunion for The Sandlot, classic film from the 90s. That's going to be on the main stage. And then finally, The Umbrella Academy is also going to be having a uh, panel on the uh, main stage along with uh, a lot of other guests that are going to be there. Uh, I think Sumi Luau from the uh, uh, Shang-Chi movie is going to be there. LeVar Burton, Steve Burns from Blue's Clues. So it's a real who's who of talent that are going to be there. I highly recommend the show. It's one of my favorite shows of the year. Um, You know, William Shatner, Will Wheaton, uh, in addition to the people I talked about, Charlie Hunnam from Sons of Anarchy is going to be there. Uh, Elizabeth Berkeley, who many of you know from Saved by the Bell. Amy Jo Johnson from uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So it's a it's a huge list of guests. And that's not we haven't even talked about the comic guests. Uh, Greg Capullo, Scott Snyder, Ryan Otley. Uh, the list goes on and on. There's going to be so many great people there. I'm going to be there. Um I'll have swag with me to give away as always. So again, really recommend you guys uh, check it out. There's still badges available. Remember, it's December 2nd through the 4th, so Friday through Sunday. Uh, Friday's uh, a little bit of an abbreviated day. It goes from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. Saturday from 9.30 to 7, and then Sunday from 9.30 to 5. So as I said, great show, highly recommended. Hope to see you all there. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for November 23rd, 2022. Apologies for it coming out a little bit late. It wasn't a whole lot of independent books that we read, and Marvel didn't come in until 
Wednesday morning, I suppose because of the holidays. Um, we didn't get the books at the time that we normally do. So we held off uh, until we could talk about Marvel as well. So um, just a quick reminder, if you're looking for the DC books this week, go check out the DC Spotlight that Rocky and I, Rocky from Comic Boom and I do every week. There are spoilers. We get into the artwork and the story beats and plot points and all that kind of stuff. So go check that out. If you're looking for DC, uh, for all the rest of the books that we've read, uh, we're going to talk about them here. Pretty much spoiler free, uh, which is going to be kind of hard this week because, man, there's a couple books where things are going down, both in a good way and in a not so good way uh, in terms of enjoyment of the story. Like there's some stuff going on that's like I'm reading it and it's a technically good comic, but I just don't like the direction the story is heading. So that being said, let's go ahead and dive right in. First book we're going to talk about that Jay's going to talk about. I suppose it's a, a prelude to the dark web story that's coming out um, in some Spider-Man books written by Zeb Wells. The art is by Michael Dowling, which is a very interesting choice for a Spider-Man book. Uh, but it, it does sort of start to make sense halfway through. Uh, Richard Eisenhoff does the colors. Um for that. And then there's a second part of the book called, so the first part of the book is called Spring and second part is called Summer. That's Kaya Holtz as the artist and Dan Brown as the color artist. Fall is Terry Dotson doing pencils and colors with Rachel Dotson doing inks. And then the last part of the story, Winter by Ryan Stegman handling the pencils, Tim Townsend and JP Meyer on inks, Matt Hollinsworth on colors. So bit of a disjointed feel. But at least they did break it up in, in this four-part story. Joe Caramagna letters it all. Um, but yeah, the art I just thought was it was strange to do it to do it this way. But anyway, what did you think of the book, Jay? Uh it was a little different because uh it's not your typical Spider-Man story, I guess you would say. I guess like you said, it's just the prelude to the new series they're gonna do. Um we got Ben and things going on with him and his uh better half. And then uh, that well, it's no shocker, but they got uh, another character, uh, Madeline Pryor. You're like, okay, why is she in the story? But like you said, when you read it, it makes more sense. Uh, I guess we get a new character introduced. I guess in this one, I guess I guess that would be a big deal. I guess, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, she's on the cover. Yeah, and then Marvel DC seem like they always do it every month. They got like one new character every month, so it's like, uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess sell the books. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, um, and you know it's not a spoiler that Ben Riley's in here either. He's he's also on the cover, Chasm as he's now called. Right. Um, so I mean, yeah, it makes sense. They're both clones of heroes, so they do have something in common. We won't spoil who this new character Hollows Eve won't spoil who that is, but I guess you know in the story it makes sense as well. The thing that struck me, like Peter Parker, is nowhere to be found in this book. Yeah, I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, it, it's only Ben and uh, Madeline Pryor, Goblin Queen, and and that that's it. That's it. And and they're they're kind of minions. They're supporting cast. Um. So this kind of comes out of nowhere, and you know this is, event's going to go on for a while, and so that means we're still we are still not going to find out. What the heck happened to Peter? Why his life's a mess? Um, and, I, you know, I'll give credit. At least it's not being shoved in our face like it has been. But this is issue 14 
this issue 14 and we still don't know what the heck happened with Peter. Um, and the other aspect of this is just seeing the, the characterization of Ben and we saw, you know, you and I both expressed reservations at the end of the beyond storyline that we were a little worried because Ben is, Ben is Peter, right? he's a clone of Peter and granted he doesn't have all the same experiences, but he has the same morality. And I get that they pulled a bunch of his memories out. Um, but it really seems like they're leaning into him being a, a villain, just an out and out villain. And I, that's what I mean when I say, I don't really, I mean, again, technically well put together comic, you can argue whether or not the art makes it feel kind of choppy. Um, and definitely separates the segments of the story because none of these people have a similar art style. Um, so, but, but all that's fine, right? Like it's technically a good comic in terms of visual storytelling, pacing, all that sort of thing. But I don't know that I'm I'm liking where the story is he- heading because I feel pulled out of the story every time I see or read Ben saying something that I just don't think Ben would say. So I don't know. I'm, I, I like Ben Riley. I don't want Ben Riley to be a villain, but no, it seems like that's that's the direction we're heading unless you see, see it otherwise. No, I, I kind of like the vibe either because, you know, it, he's been with – in the book for you for how long now my gosh like 20 years now 15 years so it's like you get you know he pops up once in a while but you like the character you're it's long it's even longer than that the clone saga was in the 90s oh my goodness yeah so it's like why are you gonna destroy that character you know it's like leave him alone (laughs) but don't make him the bad guy but i don't know well maybe we're wrong well maybe they'll do something you know but i don't know yeah i mean don't like it you give him him a redemption arc later on he sacrifices himself kind of reminds me of what they did to hal jordan right turn him into parallax and he was a villain and then he then he reignited the sun in final night and uh i don't know like i i asked jam dimatteis last time he was on the show how he felt about it like like they're turning into villain he's like yeah i haven't really you know read any of the new stuff or kept up on it and i was like yeah you know it's maybe they'll he won't be an out and out villain more of an anti-hero kind of thing and nope he's he's a straight up villain uh, <laughs> so yeah it's I don't know. It's problematic. I guess we'll, I mean, I guess we'll see. Um, the the biggest thing, I mean, even beyond that, that's a that's a sp- you know specific plot point, and not everybody's going to like everything that that Marvel does. But just in general tone, like you and I were both really tired of kind of the drudgery and monotony of Nick Spencer's run, that kindred storyline that that went on for fifty plus issues from the. F- First issue of that volume of Amazing Spider-Man, he was telling the Kindred story for like four years. It just took forever and it dragged on and it wasn't fun. And one of the things that you and I both liked about the Beyond uh, Amazing Spider-Man arc where Ben took over as Spider-Man was that it brought the fun back. It was more lighthearted. Yeah, he's still getting his butt kicked from time to time and whatever. And things aren't, aren't, you know, sunshine and daisies. Peter Parker's in a coma, but it still had a lighter feel. It, it felt fun. It felt like Spider-Man. Now, now with this, I don't know. It feels like we're going back toward dark and gritty. You know? Um, oh yeah, dark was dark too. If you notice, like every every issue, like every little panel was like that that sad, depressing, evil state. It's like man, yeah. it's like it's like okay. Yeah, and I get I get it because they're in limbo, and it's you know, in a way, it's kind of adjacent to hell and supposed to be dark and dreary or whatever but god put it in a put it in a different book like 
I don't, I don't know. I, th- I think I'm not a big fan of editorial for making this decision of, of first of all, for turning Ben into a villain. But even if you're going to do that, like, why does it have to be such a dark storyline? You know, I mean, it's even called dark web between this and, and the other, the thing that's going on in the other Spider-Man title, um, Dan Slott and, um, and Mark Bagley, it's like, man, poor Peter can't catch a break. And I get that you can't be like stories where everything's fine and he's happy because that can get boring, but everything just feels really dark right now. And it's such a, such a bummer. Um, I want to have fun when I'm reading Amazing Spider-Man. He can go through his trials and tribulations, but, you know, give me some of those wise cracks. Give me, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's frustrating. Uh, anyway, let's move on to something else. Uh, first image comic we're going to talk about is issue number six of eight, eight billion genies. Uh, this is by writer Charles Soule, art by Ryan Brown. Uh, we've got colors by Ryan Brown and Kevin Nipstein, letters by Chris Crank. Here's what's interesting about this, this story. Um, it's like the first five issues were sort of the first arc. And then the, this issue, and that first arc, those first five issues, the first four kind of took place over a very short period of time. And then issue five had a little bit of a time jump. Um, and now with issue six, we get an even larger time jump. Like we're jumping like eight, eight months, I think, uh, 13 months or so, um, sometime in there. But it's a big jump, less than it, maybe less than a year, um, but it's been over a year since the genie showed up, but it's an extended period of time. And then the, the act, this actual issue takes place over two years. And you, you're starting to get an idea of what the world is like. Post genie, post wishes, all that sort of stuff. Next month, they're going to jump not eight years, but eight decades, 80 years. So it's so interesting to me. I mean, that number eight keeps coming up over and over and over, right? It's about the population of Earth's about 8 billion, thus the 8 billion genies title. And we went from, you know, G-Day, and then you jump eight months, and now we're going to jump 80, <laughs> 80 years. Um, and then you kind of wonder what what the last, what's the last issue going to do? Is it going to jump 800 years? Like what's going on? I, we I have talked a lot about the series about how big in scope it is when you think about it how it's it's almost an infinite number of stories you can tell. I mean, if you have 8 billion people on the planet and they all get a genie, you could write a story about every single one of those people and what they wish and why they wished for it and their motivations or whatever. It's like, man, where does it end? Like, How are they going to get the, how are they going to tell the story? So, I mean, that, that's the answer to this question. They're going to cover vast periods of time, um, but it works. Charles, I give a lot of credit to Charles Soule and Ryan Brown for making this work. Uh, we're still focused on some of the core characters that we met uh, early on, but we're seeing them in the larger context of the world and and the little sanctuaries that people have have built. Um, they call, they're called havens uh, because we know a lot of the world was was destroyed just based on the nature of the, the things that people wished for. So I don't know that there's any other way that they could have structured this. You have to start intimate and you have to start small to keep the reader from being overwhelmed and ground the story and some characters that we that we come to connect with and relate to uh and that sort of grounds the story for us and then you can send them out in the world and have them you know experience things 
over time. And that kind of gives us a, a wider view of, of how the world works. So great structure, great choice, great art by Ryan Brown. Um, I'm, I'm kind of sad that there's only two, two more issues of this left, that it's only eight issues. I, I mean, their curse words um, series went on for a long time. Uh, Letter 44 from uh, Charles and Alberto Albuquerque went on a long time too. I mean, I know it's kind of not the form now. Series don't last that long, but I'm going to be sad to see this one go. It's been a heck of a lot of fun. Um, so I can't, this is one of those like that I was talking about. I can't really talk about any anything in the plot at all. Because it does move really fast. I mean, in order to cover eight years, you've got to move along pretty quick. Um, so, and it even said, now that I look at it, it is exactly eight years because there is a a one-page splash that says the first eight years and human population is down to 32 million, from 8 billion to 32 million. That's how much of the earth, uh, how many people have died since the genie showed up. So great series, highly recommended. It's a, it's a heck of a lot of fun. So check it out if you are so inclined. Uh, all right, up next from Marvel. Oh, this was a fantastic issue. It's uh, issue number three of the latest, the latest Alien series, still being written by Philip Kennedy Johnson. Julius Ota is the artist. Yen Nitro on colors. Clayton Cowell on letters. Uh, for those that haven't been following along, there is a... Uh, a team of special forces of the um, what do they call them? The synthetics, um, and the humans went to the planet where the synthetics had sort of taken over as their own. This group, there's only like six or eight of them or something, um, but they're obviously they're the synthetic organisms, so they're they're highly advanced, highly trained, and they don't want any. And the humans used to send them out to do, do their dirty work, and they kind of revolted. And the humans were unable to stop them since they're so powerful. And these guys went off and just kind of wanted to exist peacefully. And then the humans show up and they're like, hey, uh, we will stop hunting you. We will give you, you know, your freedom. I mean, they already kind of have their freedom. But but anyway, they, they made them an offer and they said, hey, there's this planet that grows all this food. And there seems to be some kind of virus or disease that's running rampant. And we need you to uh, – and it, the, that planet that where this is happening is is kind of a planet where a lot of food is grown or the human colonies. And so they say, go to this other planet where we think that there is some research uh, and vaccines and whatnot that can, that can really help people um, and, and stop the spread of this disease on this, this farming planet. So go to this other planet that had an, an accident, this colony had an accident and that planet is um, covered in radiation. So humans can't go there, but you guys could go there and you can you can get this artifact uh, and get this research and then bring it to us so we can you know s- save this farming this agricultural planet and keep all these millions of people from starving. So that's kind of the setup. And they got dropped on that planet last uh, last issue, and the, they were supposed to be getting this egg, this alien egg that had been genetically experimented on. Uh, and when they went to the lab, it wasn't there. And then they get in a fight with aliens and they're actually as, as advanced as they are, they're sort of losing the fight against the aliens. And then lo and behold, a bunch of humans show up, humans that aren't supposed to be there, right? Humans that are supposed to have died of this radiation. They show up on the last page and, and kind of help out this steel team and, and rescue them. And that's where this issue picks up. So 
it's been fast paced. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, what are your thoughts, Jay? It's been a fun series. Um, I gave it to Marvel. The uh, Alien runs, uh, the, the the second run that they have, has been exciting because they can do anything they want with a character, and they're not just following the same old boring. You know, let's have uh, the main character from the movies do this and this. They kind of like expanded the uh, the world, I guess you can say. I mean, you still got the aliens in it, so you can pretty much do what you want and have fun with it. Um, the SEAL team is, uh, you know, they're there, like you said, do their thing. But they don't realize that well, it's funny you're saying the egg, but they don't know how dangerous the stupid egg is. And the, and in this one, they work with the humans. Um, but as we know, synthetic humans, you know, always uh, it's like uh, oil and vinegar. It's not going to work out well at the end. The ending of this is pretty uh, pretty nice. It's fun because you're like, okay, what's going to happen next? Um, it was fast paced. I'm just looking forward to the next issue because it's like, man. I want to know what's going to be the next uh, big thing that's going to happen because the ending, that last panel, you're like, oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we've given Philip Kennedy Johnson, we've said this a lot of times about his work on this Alien series. Like, he's so clearly a fan of the movies and the the, the world of, of aliens. And, you know, like you said, that the relationship between humans and synthetics has always been sort of um, – it's the best way to put it. Like it's been um, defined by betrayal, let's say like there's no trust between synthetics and, and humans. So when things go down in the, like it's not necessarily expected um, the way things go down here, but it's once it happens, you're like, well, that makes sense. That's exactly how it would go. Um, <laughs> and you, you almost, I mean, you can see both sides. You can see, you, you can sympathize, you can understand where the synthetic team is coming from, the, the steel team, and you can understand where the humans are coming from as well. And in a way, the aliens are sort of caught in the middle. Um, but I also really enjoyed kind of the perspective of the humans on this planet, um, like the way they see the aliens. Like, you know, the aliens were were just an animal, you know, that were probably interested in like feeding and mating um, and probably would, you know, have left us alone. Um, but they've seen all that betrayal that has happened over the years between the synthetics and the human. And they, they've learned from that. So in a way the, the aliens have learned human behavior. They've learned how to, how to be cruel and how to torture and, and that sort of thing. And so I find that to be interesting and fascinating and something I'd never really thought about before. Um, so again, kudos to Philip Kenny Johnson and gorgeous Julius uh, Ota art in that book as well. Uh, all right. Up next, I'm going to talk about Avengers forever. We're up to issue number 11. This one focuses on uh, Robbie Rodriguez, the all writer. Uh, I've talked before about not being a big fan of, of Robbie Rodriguez, but Jason Cutter must be a, or Jason Aaron rather must be a, uh, a huge fan of him. Um, Cause he writes this and Jim toe and Frank Martin um, are the artists. Corey Petit does the letters and Aaron is giving a, a lot of power. He's really elevating ghost Ray. He's, he's elevating Robbie Rodriguez. I, again, I don't care for the character. I don't like his design. I don't like the way his skull looks. I don't like the fact he drives a car instead of a motorcycle. To me, that's not Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider needs to be on a motorcycle or a horse because that was kind of the prelude of the motorcycle. I don't like the idea of him being in a car. But regardless of that, um, what they've really done with uh, with this version of Ghost Rider by calling him the All Rider 
is make him super powerful and he he can he can turn anything into his mode of transportation right it's not we're not just talking a motorcycle we're not just talking a, a car it can be a helicarrier you know like a shield helicarrier the whole helicarrier you know made out of flame and it's like wait what like what exactly is is going on i don't i don't really get it and all this to to build up this army to take on the multiversal masters of evil but then the way this goes down it's like why did you even need to have the team because you've elevated Robbie so much does he need does he need any help to defeat them if he's this powerful he can defeat them on their own or on his own and so then um does that happen does it not happen i mean the ending of this didn't really make make sense to me i, I, I was just really confused um didn't understand why this went down the way that it did I didn't think the art was particularly good in this issue either. It's very, it, it lacks detail. It's very sort of pedestrian um, in a way. Like this one thing I can say about the series throughout is it's had really great art for the most part, but I wasn't a fan of this art. Again, it, it just, it lacks a lot of detail. It just seemed very, very simple. So um, I'm ready for this series to be over. Uh, I got to, I got to be honest. Um and I don't know that this this might be the last issue for all I know. I mean, it's it's only issue eleven, so it'd be kind of strange for it to to finish up on on this. But it, the the name of the uh, issue is the Pillars, and this is the conclusion of that. But then at the end, it says that the story is going to be continued in Avengers Assemble Alpha Number One. So uh, again, I'm just I'm ready to move on from this multiversal Avengers story. Um, just it hasn't really been that enjoyable and, and like i said a lot of these avengers, uh, avengers forever series i've mentioned this they're like one shots like oh here's one that focuses on captain america here's one that focuses on star brand here's one that focuses on captain marvel like it hasn't really felt like it's flowed very well so it's been it's been a challenge to read um uh so i don't know maybe maybe it's just not for me uh all right let's move on to uh another marvel book uh, Daredevil is up to issue number five, still being written by Chip Zdarsky. Raphael Delatore does the art in this issue. Matthew Wilson on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. What do you think of this? It's fun because uh, like uh, the last one that uh, Chip did with the Daredevil, he focused more on the courtroom and aspects of him being a you know a lawyer. This one, we're 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 out of the courtroom now. We're doing other things, <laughs> but it's cool because in this we see they kind of uh, he does more with um, I guess his his powers, I guess his senses. I kind of like how they kind of you know I'm not going to try to give away, but you know they kind of do more with it, which is kind of neat. I like that. Uh, the recruiting process, it's like a little dark. Um, I do like the artwork in this and just have him having that full beard, just hanging out as a derby. That was pretty cool. I like that. I kind of like that. I'm growing the beard out too. So I like that a lot. <laughs> and the, uh, the Annie's like, I think in this issue was like the best because it's like, uh, like, man, how does he get away with this? Apparently not. So uh, it should be fun because, you know, he's going to meet some old friend of his and I guess the next issue. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's been interesting. I've talked a lot about how the, Early on in his the last volume of Daredevil, Hal Zdarsky really leaned into the emotion, um, and then toward the end of that series, ramped up the action once he established that emotional foundation. It's been nonstop action ever since then, other than maybe the psychological aspect of this Goldie character, this guy, Robert Goldman, that Matt went to 
college with and apparently has been manipulating Daredevil's entire life based on orders he thinks he's receiving from God, the voice that he hears in his head, um, which is a really fascinating concept because Daredevil definitely, Matt Murdock, I should say, rather than even Daredevil, Matt Murdock has definitely led a life of of trauma. And so if this one guy is actually responsible for it, you know, what does that say? Um, so it feels like a big story. You know, we're going to have the hand and the fist having it out, um, kind of a, a gang war, if you will. Um, so it's interesting, but, uh, I will say that although the Raphael Delatory art is, is solid in this issue, I much prefer the, the Marco Cicchetto art. Um, but that's his personal, personal preference, but yeah, Daredevil, it, it feels very disconnected right now from the rest of the Marvel universe as well. So if you if you want to read it, you don't need to be reading anything else to understand what's going on in the pages of Daredevil. So, uh, all right, up next, Finally, have some aftershock books to talk about. Zero uh, Six Protocol Number Two. This is from writer Lee Turner. Cliff Richards is the artist. Matt Herms does colors. Cardinal Ray on letters. So, the first issue, we knew that there were these um, basically these special agents, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, who were genetically experimented on as as children. And they, for some reason, would be triggered at some point and, and they couldn't figure out why or how. But at some point, something could happen to them where they would kind of lose control and freak out and kill a bunch of people. So this clandestine government agent agency um, sent out these agents to, to track them down and to kill them all. Um, and what we found out last issue was that one of these agents found one of these IMs, they're called, and for some reason decides not to kill her, falls in love with her, marries her, and has a kid um, and hides it from this government agency. So then the government agency, years later, finds out and goes to try to wipe out the whole family because they have a daughter and they're worried that the you know the superhuman type abilities that the mother has um, – could be passed on to the daughter. They managed to kill the father who was the, the agent who kind of betrayed his mission. Um, but the mother uh, escapes and, and she doesn't even know that she's one of these IMs. And she gets informed about it when she, she goes to this agency to, to, you know, cause she knew that her husband had, had worked for some secret government agency. And so she goes there, she finds out about her true nature of herself and they try to kill her. She is, it kind of triggers her abilities. She's able to escape. And now this issue, she's on the run trying to go and save her daughter and trying to stay one step ahead of these, um, this group, clandestine, shadowy, immoral organization that's hunting her down. So the, the first issue, it felt like really well paced. And you got a big chunk of story and everything you needed to understand what was going on. This issue, the pace, the pace feels like double in terms of how fast the story's unfolding. Um, and so there's a lot going on. And what I really like about what Turner does is that this woman, she's, she doesn't have any experience being a secret agent. She doesn't have any experience being hunted. She doesn't have any experience, um, you know, using these superhuman abilities. So she's go- going to make mistakes. It makes sense that she's not 
you, you know, it's not one of those situations like in a superhero comic where somebody gets superpowers and they immediately know how to use them. And, you know, they know just how hard to punch people. And it's not always realistic when you stop to think about it. But uh, I like that Lee Turner, the, the writer here is, is keeping it grounded, keeping it down to earth. And the art I think is really, really solid. It, it, it gives you everything you need to know. However, if I have any complaint about the art, it's the page layouts. The page layouts are just very generic. It's just, you know, six or eight panels on a page laid out in a grid. Um, I think that the story could be elevated if if the art were a little more dynamic in terms of, of the page layouts. Now, I'm not familiar with Cliff Richards. His line work is really strong. His... Uh, his camera work is really strong in, in terms of, you know, moving around at different angles. He does tend to stay kind of at that medium zoom uh, distance though. So I wouldn't mind, you know, like I said, if he, if he changed things around just to make it a little more interesting visually, um, you know, some close-ups or some further away establishing shots and, and definitely give us, you know, some more dynamic page layouts. Um, and I know I'm nitpicking, but uh, this is an aftershock book and I want it to do well. And the story is is really fun, so uh, kudos to the whole to the whole team. So check it out if you're uh, if you're so inclined. Um, up next for Jay, we have the other aftershock book that's out today. It's the debut of a new series, and it's called Fear of a Red Planet, written by Mark Sable. Andrea Olimpieri is the artist. Dave Sharp on letters. What do you think, Jay? Uh, fun because I didn't really know what to expect when I, I read it. To be honest with you, um, but it starts off in a year like where they plan. Hey, we're trying to get people to come to the Mars to you know start building a, a society there. It happens, and then uh, it's like twenty years later. But it's uh, it's what you expect. It's not uh, glamorous at all, and it's kind of a uh, it's a it's rough living up there. And there's a lot of payments. There's a lot of uh, depression, realistically. Um, we found out there were some issues that they had on the planet. Um, the marshals, like the main uh, character in the story, something happens to one of the characters that everybody hates, but you know she has to um, do her her job and protect that person. But uh, it, it quickly becomes uh, a murder mystery, which is not what I expected, but it's kind of fun at the same time because you really can't run and hide. I mean, wherever there's oxygen, cause it's Mars, that's where you're going to find your suspect. So it should be, it should be fun. And I'm sure we'll get more of a uh, backstory of, you know, uh, how things got the way they got on this planet why things are so, you know, c- kind of hiatus and people are, you know, more or less using drugs and sex to kind of escape from that. They're the life on Mars. Yeah. I mean, it's right there in the solicits that the, this Marshall has to solve the, the, the murder of the most hated man on the colony, but, yeah, I, what I love about it uh, from Mark Sable is that yeah he he didn't set this up as like this this Star Trek like future right like if you watch Star Trek everything is clean and shiny and looks brand new and uh, you know that's not that's not what this is this is a struggle to survive on a dirty planet where you know where things are held together um, by you know duct tape and chewing gum and even the people are frayed and fragile, right? I mean, nobody really wants to be there. So um, it's a, it's a kind of a rough and tumble, you know, almost like a wild West type feel. 
Um, and the people are the, the marshals trying to keep the peace because this thing's a powder keg, you know, These people are under tremendous stress. They're living, uh, on a, you know, in a hostile environment where they all could die. There could be some catastrophe and they all could die at any, any moment. So when, when the risk of death is that close, you know, people, people lash, people can lash out or they can, you know, life's not as precious. Life's cheap there because you, you can be dead so quickly. <laughs> you know, there's not stay there medical facilities. There's not, you know, a lot of the things that we would take for granted here on earth. So really interesting take um, on, on colonization. Uh, so curious to see where it goes from here. Uh, all right. Up next department of truth. Can't believe we're up to issue 22 on this book. Uh, it's from writer James Tynan. Art is by Martin Simmons letters by Aditya Bidikar. It's such a great book. Um, things are really starting to come together and we know that the black hat organization has, gone to Cole's husband and basically given him a narrative saying, here's what your husband's really doing, working for this Department of Truth. Here's what the Department of Truth really is. And so uh, they're threatening uh, – Cole's husband is a reporter, and they basically are trying to manipulate Cole into releasing all this information about the Department of Truth in his newspaper uh, that he works for. And so you can imagine – I mean, the whole idea of Department of Truth is if enough people read something and believe it, it becomes reality. So this is sort of Black Hat's move that they've been planning for a long, long time on how to finally get the upper hand against the Department of Truth. Black Hat kind of got, if you're not familiar, um, haven't been reading this, they kind of got their start uh, as the uh, Russian or the Soviet Union's version of the Department of Truth. Um, so they, they have some ties that go back with Lee Har Harvey Oswald, who's the leader of the Department of Truth. Um but they splintered off at, at some point, and now they're kind of at odds um, with the Department of Truth. So with all that background, how does Cole deal with his husband knowing? How does Lee Harvey Oswald deal with it? So it, it's a bit of a setup issue, but it, it, it's an issue that does a great job of kind of explaining where we're at in the story. Um, this isn't an issue – like a lot of the issues deal with – conspiracy theory, you know, UFOs or Bigfoot or um, the Mothman or all these kind of, you know, whacked out uh, ideas, uh, black helicopters and, and that sort of thing. This one, it actually focuses on the narrative of the story of which all that stuff is kind of on the fringes of because it's the Department of Truth and that, that's just what they do. That's not to say that there aren't some a good number of conspiracy theories that are referenced here uh, in a lot of ways, but this is sort of focusing on the actual characters of the uh, Department of Truth and kind of moving them around, um, getting them set up for what feels like a big confrontation with the with the black hat. So we'll see how that all plays out. Martin Simmons art. Um, I sort of can't uh, imagine anybody else on the series. I said when it first started that it's not my style of art, but that I would probably get to a point where I don't picture this book with art by anyone but him. He's had various fill-in artists along the way. I'm always disappointed now, actually, when it's somebody <laughs> other than Martin Simmons that uh, is doing the illustrations. Uh, he's got this kind of watercolor style. I don't know if he works digitally or traditionally. I'm assuming he's he's doing watercolor on digital uh, just for the sake of speed. But uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine anybody doing the book except for him. So 
Uh, all right. Up next, and again, I've, I've read the, only the first issue of the series, and I'm still planning on getting caught up at some point. But at this point, I just don't know. Uh, it's issue 8 of 12 of the, the Image 30th Anniversary Anthology that, that runs for the whole year. Um, we have multiple stories here. The Blizzard, Part 8 of 12, Jeff Johns, Andrea Moody, and Rob Lee. Casanova, Hunting the Adversaries by Matt Fraction and Gabriel Ba. Casanova being a Matt Fraction property from way back when. Uh, World Tree by James Tynan and Fernando Blanco. Hack Slash versus Image, Part 4 from Tim Seeley and Stefano Caselli. Another Casanova story, this time The Adversary Hunts by Fraction and Fabio Moon. Stupid Fresh Mess, which is the name of Scotty Young's uh, publishing imprint, if you weren't aware. So that is by Scotty Young and Nate Picos. Red Stitches, Part 8 of 12 from Brendan Fletcher and Erica Henderson. Closer, Part 2 of 3 by Kieran Gellin and Steve Lieber. Jack Staff by Paul Grist. Gehenna, Part 8 of 12 from Patrick Kynland, Maurizio Rosenwig, and Jim Campbell. And then finally, Billy Dogma, Part 8 of 12 by Dean Haspiel. So I know you've been um, – you're all caught up on this, Jay. So what are your thoughts? It's fine. Sometimes, like, uh, you look forward to some of the stories, like the Blizzard. Obviously, I, I like the artwork. I like the Jeff Johns. I look forward to that. It's already eight to twelve, so I'm like, man, it's almost over. But it's uh, it's it's been a really fun uh, story. Um, then you get some that you're not really familiar with. You're like, ah, okay, I'll read it. Like, you know, World Thirty Three. You're like, okay, I'll, I'll try that. It, it's not too bad. Um, if you're a hack and slash fan, and you know, there's not really uh, not really publishing too much. This is a a great way to read those characters again with this, uh, with this uh, anniversary. Um, the Billy Dogma, I like that a lot too. And uh, I think it's cool. It's almost over too. So I guess they're just following with the 12 issues on these, the first and the last, which is kind of cool because at the beginning story and the last story and everything else is kind of smashed in the middle of the sandwich, but uh, it's been, it's fun. And um, I would pick it up if you're an image fan, uh, because sometimes they'll introduce a character or characters that might be down the road, have their own uh, series. And you'd be like, oh, you know, that was their first appearance in this book. I, I should have got it. And now it's like 80 bucks or something because they've done that before with some of their characters. So it's like uh, it's totally worth the price. And uh, I do enjoy the stories. Yeah, I've done that with a lot of characters, actually. Like didn't Invincible show up in like Tech Jacket first or something? Like yep. And yeah, look at how much yeah. that went. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh, all right. Up next from Image, we have Hatomi, Chapter 2. This is creating, created and written by H.S. Talk, art by Isabella Manzanati, layouts by Nicoletta B., colors by Valentina Napolitano, and letters by Rob Jones. Um, I haven't read this at all. Is this is there's a what looks to be like a werewolf on the cover, or maybe it's just a, some kind of spirit wolf. I, I have no idea what this is about, Jay. Give us Give us some clues here. Okay, so the main character, Hitomi, uh, which Japanese means pupil, which is kind of fitting because she's a, a child. Uh, she meets uh, another character. She's on a on a path that she's trying to find uh, passage to uh, to her, her homeland. Uh, she meets uh, another character, uh, Yusuke, and I guess as you read the story, I want to get away, but he used to be kind of important at one time, but he kind of fell from grace. And she's pretty much trying to convince him to, you know, be his pupil to teach him, you know, the way of the, uh, the you know, the, the samurai. Um, it's fun because as they're going on this little adventure, getting to know each other, and you get to know more of the backstory of the characters, and they're with, they meet different people. 
um, the covers always kind of lead to what that little story um, that they're going to, their little adventure they're going to get into. So it's, I don't want to give it away, but it's really fun. Uh, I enjoy the artwork. It's, it's different. At first I was like, eh, but like you said before, if you kind of like read enough of it, you're like, okay, I, I, the artwork matches the story. And I just hope they don't change it because now I'm kind of used to it. It's only been two issues in, but I, I, I like the way they draw the, the girl and the, and the character and the background. It's, it's fun and I enjoy it. Yeah, it's so not werewolves at all then. Samurai. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty much what it is. Yeah, it's just like uh, the covers kind of give away the story of what they're going to, or their adventure they're going to get into, uh, you know, what entails in that that story, which is kind of kind of cool. Gotcha. Uh, all right. Up next, last book uh, I'm going to talk about in detail uh, is Janice Vell, Captain Marvel. This is part five of five. Written by Peter David, art by Juan and Ramirez, colors by Frederico Blee, letters by Ariana Mare. So it's fun. It kind of establishes a new um, new status quo for Janice Bell and for Rick Jones. And at the end, it's the, on the final page, it's never the end as opposed to the end. Um, and basically what has happened is Rick Jones and Janice Bell have found out that their their connection to each other is still... Um, ongoing and um, without that connection Rick Jones is sort of fading out of existence uh, he's doing the Marty McFly as he calls it uh, and for Genesis part he needs the the nega bands uh, he needs to wear those or his power goes out of control so they seem kind of stuck with each other uh, for for the time being and then the other part of the story that's going on is uh, Rick's wife, Marlo, who's been missing for a long time and he thought was dead, shows back up, but she's been merged with death uh, somehow. And uh, we get the resolution of that part of the story as well, which um, I'm not going to spoil it, but I'll just say that poor Rick Jones, nothing ever goes right for the guy. Um, I'll, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. So uh, I'm a fan of Janice Bell. I'm a fan of Rick Jones. I like the idea of them together. Um, you know, Rick Jones was at one point sort of linked with Genesville's genetic father, um, Captain Marvel. And uh, so I, I like the, that idea of kind of a, a legacy uh, legacy feel to this. So wouldn't mind um, getting a follow-up. Uh, you know, Peter David is a writer who understands Genesville very well since he's the one that, that created um, the character. So um, I guess we'll see. The, the art by Juan and Ramirez – Kind of interesting. I, I feel like Wanin is one of those artists that needs an inker because when he has an inker, I feel like his art is a lot cleaner. Um, here it's a, it's a little, it's a little loose at times. Um, but still very dynamic. He's a great storyteller and the action scenes are, are really awesome. Uh, all right. Last book for Jay Vanish number three created and written by Donnie Cates, uh, created and Drawn by Ryan Stegman. J.P. Meyer does the inks. Sonia Oback on colors. John J. Hill does the letters. Um, I'm really enjoying this story. What did you think? Oh, yeah. It uh, starts off with blood and guts. I'm like, okay, that's a way to, go, way to start a story. <laughs> yeah. So, But it's so cool because, uh, like, we meet some of these, uh, I guess, uh, Oliver's uh, nemesis, I guess, his other uh, people he's trying to take out. But... They're, they're kind of badasses, but I mean, they don't last long with this guy. It's just, you know, I think he's going down, but now nah, he does something kind of like in this one, kind of, uh, I didn't expect him to do, but he does what he does to get, you know, to, to beat these, uh, these villains, these uh, villains, I guess. 
But it's funny because I, I was telling you earlier, it's like the more you read the story, you're like, man, he's kind of like uh, enjoying this. I don't know if he's actually a good guy or, or a bad guy now because, you know, he has to absorb the, uh, the, you know, the dark, you know, uh, magic. So it's like, eh, I don't know. He kind of enjoyed it a little, think a little too much. But it's still, the art is amazing. Uh, it's blood and guts. I mean, it's just, it's everything I like in an action, in a, in a, I guess, a hero, a cape story. Yeah. The thing is, you don't, you don't really know who the good guys are, or who the bad guys are. Like the, it, it just, it's action packed and every, every, the characters are not these, you know, prototypical archetype heroes. Like everybody's got their baggage. Um, and, you know, it kind of suits the, the state of the world that they live in. So, um, and the art by Ryan Stegman is, is probably his best work. Like it's, it's really, really fun. Um, I ended up getting the Virgin variant. I think it was like a one in 50 Virgin variant of the main cover. Um, that was like a foil without any of the trade dress. Cause I, I just, I had to have, I just had to have it. So, <laughs> so, it looks so good. Like I was just getting the main cover and then I saw the, you know, from my LCS and then I saw the foil one and I was like, can I, tra- can I, don't get the main <laughs> A cover and just give me the the foil virgin variant of that. So trying to spend less on comics. Uh, anyway, let me give a rundown on some of the other titles that you might want to be on the lookout for today. Um, from Boom, we've got a couple new series starting. Damn, uh, is it Damn Them All? No, uh, sorry. I just had it. Yeah, Damn Them All number one. Like, yeah, it is. Um, it's got a second printing and I, I don't think I mentioned, uh, when, uh, when it came out the first time, but, uh, it's this girl, Ellie Hawthorne, who's an occultist for hire and her uncle was killed and all these demons were unleashed. Um, and she's got to figure out how and get them all back where they belong. So it's drawn by Charlie, Charlie Adler. Um, and I thought the first issue was really, really great. Uh, it, people are saying it's your favorite new occult anti-hero since John Constantine. So it's getting a lot of buzz. Might want to pick up a second printing if you missed uh, the first one. Also, another new number one from Boom is Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, number one, uh, which is written by Jason Aaron. Alexander Tefegni does the art. Uh, it's oversized every issue and deals with philosophical differences You know, in a world where things are falling apart due to uh, climate change. So, you know, it's a creator owned by Jason Aaron. So you, if you're a big fan of his, you may want to look to pick that up uh, from DC. And again, you can listen to the uh, in detail about the story and uh, the plot and whatnot on our DC spotlight that came out on Tuesday. So we've got action comics, number 1049 Batman fortress, number seven dark crisis, the dark army, number one, DC Mech number five, DC versus Vampires number 11, Deathstroke Incorporated number 15, Detective Comics number 1066, Harley Quinn number 24, Human Target number nine, Punchline the Gotham Game number two, Tim Drake Robin number three. Uh, and I also want to mention there's a collection, one of the best books that came out uh, that finished up, I think it finished up last year. Um, but it's other history of the DC universe, which were the oversized black label books. I think there were five of them total and they were like seven or eight bucks each. Um, but you can get the whole trade 
for twenty dollars, nineteen ninety nine. So that gets my highest possible recommendation. That series is outstanding. Uh, over at IDW, Dark Spaces Wildfire number five finishes off that series. Uh, at Image, in addition to the books we talked about, Creep Show number three of five. I hate this place has its um, trade paperback coming out. Magic Order Volume Three Number Five over in the Spawn Corner, Scorch Number Twelve, and for Matthew Rosenberg and Tyler Boss, what's the furthest place from here? Number Eight uh, over at Marvel. In addition to the books that we talked about, we have Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man Number Two, Doctor Strange Fall Sunrise Number One from Trad Moore. Uh, I tried to read that, but I, I Tradmore's art, I just, I don't get it. Um, and I opened it up and I was like, okay, I'm closing this. I'm not reading it. It's just not for me. Uh, but if you're a fan of Tradmore, definitely give it a try. Uh, Midnight Suns miniseries is up to number three of five. A Miracle Man, the Silver Age, uh, has its second issue out. And then from uh, for Star Wars, we've got Star Wars Revelations, number one. Star Wars Yoda, number one. So a couple new number ones, uh, the Star Wars corner of the Marvel Universe. And then finally over with the X-Men, we've got X-Force number 34 and X-Men number 17. So you can get your X fixed by picking up those books. And Bloodshot Unleashed number three from Valiant, which is um, a book I haven't read any Bloodshot, uh, even though he's my favorite Valiant character. So I need to get on that. That's on me. Um, from Vault. We have Mindset, number five. That's another one I need to get caught up on from one of my favorite writers, Zach Kaplan. Uh, and I think that is it. Do you have anything else you wanted to mention, Jay? Uh, the Frank Miller presents uh, Ronan book two. Uh, number one comes out. And then, uh, let's see. I think that was it. I was going to say, uh, Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, there's a very cool glow-in-the-dark variant that they have. It's uh, I, When they ordered it, I uh, talked to the, the comic shop. They didn't know that it was glow-in-the-dark. When you got it, when you get it, it's got like the rain on the character, and you put it in the, and you see it in the dark room, it's pretty badass. So if you can get it, get it. Yeah, my shop uh, sold out of those like immediately. Oh, I got me one. That's right. So, yeah, I didn't. I, I, again, I, Jason Aaron's not somebody whose who's work I really follow. So, um, but I would have got one of the glow in the dark covers just to check it out if I had the chance. But uh, anyway, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. We appreciate you joining us as always. Hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you all get a chance to head out to your LCS on Friday. I know mine is having a big. Black Friday sale with a bunch of dollar books. So I'm planning on heading over there and doing, doing a little digging. Uh, <laughs> see if I can, you know, find, just, just looking for, you know, stuff to fill out my runs on, on certain things. So probably won't find too much, but I think last time they'd had a, a dollar book sale, I, I found like 30 books or so that were, that were worth my time. So uh, anyway, that's going to do it. As I said, uh, appreciate you joining us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. 
Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.